Many churches and Christian groups have been accused of being cult-like, but what qualifies as a cult, and what are the red flags that people should look for? Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's, and joining me today is Dr. Stephen Hassan, a former cult member and a leading expert on cults, mind control, and the tactics of authoritarian leaders. Dr. Hassan spent two years as part of the so-called Mooney cult in the 1970s, and during that time, he recalls living in communal housing and sleeping less than four hours a night. He also says he surrendered his bank account to the Unification Church and was ready to kill or die for the late Reverend Moon. But now Dr. Hassan has a new mission, educating people about the dangers of cults and equipping them to avoid their traps. And today I'm so looking forward to discussing cults and cult-like tactics with Dr. Hassan. We'll also be exploring the influence of the Moonies today. You may be thinking this cult has faded into obscurity, but just last month, Donald Trump spoke at a major Mooney event, and as Dr. Hassan will explain, the Moonies are in no way a fringe group, but remain actively interwoven into the power structure of conservative politics. So I think this is going to be a very eye-opening podcast, and I'm so excited to speak with Dr. Hassan. But first, I'd like to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Judson University and Marquardt of Barrington. Judson University is a top-ranked Christian university providing a caring community and an excellent college experience. Plus, the school offers more than 60 majors, great leadership opportunities, and strong financial aid. Judson University is shaping lives that shape the world. For more information, just go to judsonu.edu. Also, if you're looking for a quality new or used car, I highly recommend my friends at Marquardt of Barrington. Marquardt is a Buick GMC dealership where you can expect honesty, integrity, and transparency. That's because the owners there, Dan and Kurt Marquardt, are men of character. To check them out, just go to buyacar123.com. Well, again, joining me today is Stephen Hassan, a former member of the so-called Mooney cult, who's become an expert on cults and the tactics of authoritarian leaders. Stephen is also the author of four books, including Combating Cult Mind Control and his latest, The Cult of Trump. He's also the founding director of the Freedom of Mind Resource Center, and he's the creator of something called the Bite Model of Authoritarian Control, which we'll be exploring uh, in detail during this podcast. So, Stephen, welcome. I'm just so pleased that you can join me. Thank you, Julie. And I'm a fan of your work. I've been looking at your social media posts and uh, often retweeting or liking them. So thank you for speaking out on behalf of Christianity. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate you following and retweeting and uh, consider even though we're not of the same faith, you're Jewish, correct? Correct. But I think that we have a lot of uh, similarities in what we're concerned about, and I think your expertise is going to be incredibly helpful today. So uh, just really looking forward to diving in with you. Um, And I'll say there's so much that I want to explore with you. I mean, from your experience with the Moonies, who today are having surprising influence within especially conservative politics, and there's a lot of Christians involved in conservative politics, so I think that's a really major issue. But I also want to explore, you know, what qualifies as a cult, because so much of my uh, reporting, which you know, involves uh, evangelical organizations, and many of them are extremely orthodox when it comes to what they teach and what their doctrine is, but they're not so orthodox sometimes in their uh, behavior, and sometimes they can be quite cult-like. And so um, that's something that I'd like to explore with you as well. And my concern is that Christians may unknowingly be participating with or even in a cult, uh, because that's a whole key, isn't it, Stephen, that cults don't come saying, hey, come join a cult. They say, um, hey, very deceptive. This is something that you're going to you know, try to appeal to people and, and bring them in, and then they become part of a cult. Uh, so looking forward to that. I, I want to start, though, just with hearing a little bit of your experience. You got involved in the Mooney cult when you were just like, what, 19? How did that happen? Yeah, exactly. So I am now 67 years old, but back in 1974, when I was 19 and an upper junior at Queens College in New York, essentially my girlfriend dumped me. I was sitting in the student union cafeteria waiting for my next class. Three women 
purporting to be students, asked if they could share my table. And of course, this was way before smartphones were invented or the internet. This was like in-person flirting that occurred. And I had no idea that they were part of a destructive authoritarian group. They lied. I even remember asking, are you part of a religious group? Oh, no, not at all. Hmm. You know, but they were bowing to an altar with Moon's picture on it every Sunday morning and reciting a pledge to fight for Korea, you know. And uh, so the lying piece was huge, but I was uh, naive. I was probably too uh, self-assured as a 19-year-old who had traveled the world that, you know, what, what could be, what could happen to me if I agree to a dinner at somebody's house or go to a weekend away. Little did I know it was going to turn into a cult workshop situation or mm. that within a matter of a few weeks, I would come to believe that Moon was the Messiah, 10 times greater than Jesus or any religious figure in human history. And I was told God was had chosen me to help save the world and instructed to drop out of college, quit my job, uh, turn against my family and my faith because they were satanic, hmm. and that the apocalypse was upon us. It was going to happen in the next three years, up to 1977. And I got swept up for two and a half years, and I left the group because of essentially a near-fatal van crash due to sleep exhaustion, which resulted in being away from the group for several weeks, uh, which allowed me to sleep because I was sleep deprived for two and a half years that I was in. Hmm. At which point my my father cried and asked me to talk with the ex-members and I was absolutely convinced I wasn't in a cult and I wasn't brainwashed, that I was there of my own free will. But to prove it to my family, I agreed to listen and it was in that deprogramming uh, period of time that I learned about Chinese communist brainwashing and what the criteria was that once the ex-members of the Moonies went over that with me, it was clear that the family, the Mooney family, did all of the same things as the satanic Chinese communist atheist government did. And that didn't sit right, so this dissonance started happening. And it was the following day when I realized Moon was lying that I realized, wait a minute, if he's a liar, then he's not trustworthy. If he's a liar, then he can't be a man of God because we teach that God is a God of truth. And I brought for show and tell a copy of the actual Mooney Bible Hmm. that they say is the completed testament, better than the Old Testament or the New Testament, and that proves that Moon is really the Messiah and that Jesus failed his mission. Wow. Wow. And I'm just curious, I mean, you're talking about some pretty heavy-duty tactics that they used on you. Was there anything that you felt predisposed you to or anything about that that was especially attractive that you felt, okay, this was my vulnerability and they just, they sensed it and they, they went for the jugular? Oh, a hundred percent. So, I mean, so I want to say for all your listeners, um, we're human beings. So we all go through vulnerable moments in our life, uh, life cycle types of events, death of a loved one. Uh, illness, moving, graduating, losing a job, moving to a new city, state, or country. Anything like that makes you more open to somebody showing up saying, hey, this is something that would might appeal to you, either to make you a better person or to save the world, or if it's a religious group, you know, God is summoning you. Um, so I was definitely vulnerable in terms of, my, as I mentioned before, my girlfriend dumping me, these three women flirting with me. That was my vulnerability. But mm -hmm. I would add that uh, another huge vulnerability is I'm like most humans, I never thought anyone could brainwash me. Like mm -hmm. I, th I had the myth of invulnerability. I'm too smart, you know. 
I come from a very good family and great education, and uh, I'm world-traveled. So it's that kind of lack of humility over the human experience that made me vulnerable as well, because no one explained to me what is a destructive mind control authoritarian cult. Hmm. Well, and what I think is so insidious about uh, a lot of the groups that I've reported on is that people do come to, I, I believe, authentic faith in, in Jesus, and often it is through a crisis-type uh, situation. But then that's exploited by leaders that have their own selfish, selfish interests. I found something that you wrote in your latest book called The Cult of Trump, and, I, and I'm sure there's a lot to explore there. We're not going to get so much into that today. Um, but you describe in your book something that I thought was fascinating. You write, ultimately, it's not a group's content or ideology, but rather its pattern of behavior that generally defies it or defines it as a destructive cult. Cults can promote all kinds of beliefs in all kinds of areas, but they typically possess a common structure. Um, as I mentioned, so many of the, the groups I've reported on have very orthodox belief, but some like take, for example, Mark Driscoll's church, um, Again, Mark Driscoll, the former uh, disgraced pastor of Mars Hill Church, goes and plants a new church in Phoenix. And now it seems like it's kind of, he was abusive before, but now he's taken it to, I would say, cult-like proportions where um, he has a loyalty scale where people get rated from 1 to 10 uh, on how loyal they are. He's using 24-7 surveillance to follow people who are supposedly, you know, enemies of the church. It's it's kind of scary stuff. And, and I found that this behavior, like you say, it's the behavior that's so scary. And you have something which I alluded to earlier, the bite model that helps sort of give words and I think language to something that we in our gut kind of know this isn't quite right. Um, but I think it's so helpful to define that. So would you talk about this bite model? And I know it's an acronym that stands for some other words, if you could uh, just sort of spell that out for us. Yeah, sure. So um, I need to credit a uh, Christian pastor for telling me, you know, if you change the order of the four components, you can call it bite, and then people <laughs> can remember it more easily. His name is Buddy Martin, and he lives in Texas. And he helped me with a lot of cases with the Boston Church of Christ and the Kip McKean Shepherding Discipleship uh, cult group. So basically, think about B is behavior control, mm -hmm. I is information control, T is thought control, and E is emotional control. And so the model, and I did my doctoral uh, research on my model in a quantitative study, uh, that shows authoritarian control if, for example, you're, you're told where you can live, who you can live with, you're, what you need to wear, what you need to you know, eat. Uh, you need to ask me, this, uh, a superior for any major decisions where there's this heavy emphasis on obedience to a human in the group structure, not a dependency on God on humans who claim to be representing God, who put themselves in God's place in people's minds. But the bite model is best understood in another model of mine called the influence continuum that goes from ethical influence with informed consent to authoritarian destructive influence. And it, healthy churches, for example, disclose up front who, who they are, what they believe, and what they want from you. We'd like to share our faith with you. Come to our church. We hope you'd like to join. But there's not heavy pressure. There's no deception. Questions are encouraged. And um, people have the right to seek elsewhere without fear of threat or shunning or other types of punitive things where the authoritarian cults exist. And I want to say for your listeners, these include non-religious authoritarian groups, whether they are um, political cults, therapy cults, multi-level marketing cults, cults of personality, large group awareness training cults, so the, again, the, the ideas and the 
beliefs of the group is less important than the overall effect on individuals where they're making people over in the image of the cult leader or in the image of the ideology that the authoritarian group is is sharing. Hmm. And you also had this pyramid structure in deceptive cults and destructive cults. And I thought that was fascinating, too, because in so many, I'm, I, actually just about every uh, group that I've reported on where there's been abuse and control and, and some of these things going on, there is this pyramid structure where there's, you know, kind of those who, who are further away from the leader, f- further away from the inner circle. And then there's always like this elite inner group who really know what's going on. Would you talk about that just a little bit? My understanding of a healthy church is, and this is from Christian ministers, people who are theologically trained, say that the preacher or the head of the church should have a elders who are on the board and the person at the top serves the elders and the congregation versus the head of the church claiming, I get direct revelations from God. And if you question and don't obey everything I say, you're disobeying God directly. That's the unhealthy version of this. Um, But, you know, if if God, God, I'm going to give you theology for a minute because I I, I do uh, Jewish cults, Christian cults, Muslim cults. So the, the Abrahamic religions, they all share the same Garden of Eden story. And what I say to my clients is, you know, if you believe in an almighty God uh, that's beyond space and time, because that's what, that's what the Bible says, that's what the Torah says, uh, and if God didn't interfere with Adam and Eve's sin didn't brainwash them to be obedient? What makes you think a group thousands of years later saying we're doing God's will, that they're justified with the ends justifying the means to lie or to brainwash people to be obedient does not make sense. And so when I'm counseling people who are in the Abrahamic faith, uh, destructive cults, that story really resonates for them because it doesn't make sense that God all of a sudden is like, yeah, I need to brainwash because it didn't work with Adam and Eve. So now I've got to change the plan. Mm, I don't think so. But, you know, they never call it brainwashing. They're much uh, smarter than that, I I think, in the way that they present it. But so many of the folks I've talked to say that, you know, over time, they, they wouldn't say that other churches aren't really saved necessarily, but just the way they present uh, their church and their doctrine is always so much better than everybody else's, almost like we feel sorry for those who are in other churches. And I've heard it from, you know, highly respected churches even, you know, and you watch the doctrine. Uh, even I've talked to people at John MacArthur's church, who's one of the most respected uh, theologians and, you know, preachers in evangelicalism. And yet they'll say, you know, it's gotten very, very narrow. And now, and I'm not saying it's a cult, although I've had people come on my program and, and say, you know, that they believe it is, uh, or very cult-like. But again, it's a very narrow doctrine. And if you don't adhere to all of it, you're not really a part of us. Um, the same thing happened at Harvest Bible Chapel uh, when I was reporting on them. You know, it was like, our church does it better. Like, we're the ones. That's why James McDonald at one point said, hey, we're going to put our church in Naples because all of our people, You, I mean, it's not like you can retire someone at where else. You're going to be so disappointed if you don't have the church there, which is our church. And so we'll put, we'll put a church in Naples. So, I mean, it seems to be this really uh, subtle yet consistent message that we have, if not the only way to salvation, a premium method, right? A premium way of, of approaching God. I think it's less egregious to say we think ours is better versus putting everything else down, which is what mm-hmm. is the really authoritarian groups are like, all other religions are dead and unspiritual, or all of Christianity, you can't be saved unless you're in our group. Um, but the, the bottom line is, is that you, God, I believe, gave us a conscience, 
and wants us to make choices, conscious choices, to be faithful, not coerced, but faithful, and, and do, do righteousness, do good things. And so um, if you're in any organization, I would say ask hard questions, like ask to see the accounting records. If it's a nonprofit that you, people are being asked to donate and tithe, it should be open to the public. And if you ask, oh, yeah, sure, you can see it. Okay, how about Wednesday at 2 o'clock? Oh, we're busy then. Oh, when? Yeah. If they won't show it, that should be huge alarm bells that they're hiding something. Yeah. And if you're giving money and you're a member, you should be able to ask that. And likewise, you should be able to challenge um, leadership and not be shamed or shunned or threatened. Mm -hmm. and, and real questions need to get real answers. And what happens, so I, I want to say that I've spent 45 years helping people to exit uh, destructive authoritarian groups. And what I say to everyone is, look, if it's legitimate, it will stand up to scrutiny. So don't delay <laughs> scrutinizing it. In fact, scrutinize it before you make a commitment in the first place. And part of good reality testing is looking for critical information from credible sources and saying, what's your beef with XYZ group or, or Y hmm. group? What are the, what's the specific behaviors that are concerning? And, uh, and, and for me, you know, the best part of religion is love and community and service and humility and compassion versus fear guilt, manipulation, dependency. Mm. And it's these themes that I think people are who, who are involved with authoritarian groups, they feel so burned when they exit that many of them give up on their faith and they give up on spirituality, which is horrible. And I've worked with so many different you know, religious cults, and they say, well, but we brought people to Jesus. Yeah, but how many people have you turned off to Jesus by your methods hmm. is, the, is the bigger, more important question. And it's not okay to turn anyone away from God, in my opinion. Well, and that's what so many of them do. And it's sad because I, I talk to so many folks who have been so disenchanted with uh, some, some do leave the faith. Some just completely check out of church, which I understand. And actually our last, my last podcast, I was talking uh, with Lena Abujamra, who's the, the author of Fractured Faith about, you know, how she almost lost her faith through this whole process. And it's just incredibly heartbreaking. It's an incredibly difficult, um, situation. I do want to look at one evangelical church, uh, in particular, just because I got some videos, uh, of, Brian Houston, who's the founder of Hillsong Church, you're probably familiar with him. And in August of 27, 2019, he had this event, and it was billed as sort of a private screening with Brian Houston for those who were considering, who were already in leadership uh, at uh, Hillsong Dallas or were thinking of being in leadership. And he goes through, um, it's about 30, 40 minutes long. I got it in. Uh, segments on somebody's cell phone who just, you know, decided to record it. And then she sent it to me. But it's fascinating because Brian Houston describes these cultural responsibilities that anybody who's going to lead at Hillsong needs to have. And, you know, some of them sound quite reasonable, but others of them really, you know, for me, they, they raise some red flags. So I just wanted to play one of them in particular here. It's, um, it's called I Am Not on the Gossip Train, uh, Brian Houston describing this uh, cultural responsibility. So I'm going to play it, and then I would like uh, your response to it. Sure. Number five, this one's a good one. I hope you get convicted. <laughs> I am not on the gossip train. Every country has its... Christian Gossip Mafia. 
They're the ones who are always on the phone. Have you heard the latest? Did you hear? Did you hear like a hill song? Have you heard? I don't know if you heard a hill song. You know, have you heard? Did you know? I don't want our church to be that church. I want to pastor the kind of church where we are the last to know. We just don't know this stuff because we don't get ourselves on the gossip train. If people ring you all the time to tell you the latest and the greatest in terms of some tragedy in someone else's life or some difficulty that someone's going through, you probably should ask yourself, why are they telling me? Because, you know, I'll be honest, I don't tend to hear a lot of that stuff. I love the fact that the Bible says the mouth of the righteous is a well of life. What about you? Is, is your mouth a well of life or a sewer of defeat? <laughs> the mouth of the righteous is a well of life. Amen. The scripture says that the mouth of the righteous feeds many. So, if the people around and about you, Pastor, uh, depending on your words for nourishment, are they dying of malnutrition? Because we're called to feed many. And uh, I just don't want our church to be on that gossip train. Uh, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. It's talking about a city under siege and the watchmen under siege behind the, the city wall are looking out to the mountains and looking out to the mountains. Hopefully they're going to see a messenger coming and sure enough, there on the mountains is a messenger coming and he's carrying some news. He's carrying good news. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. How ugly in the sewer is the mouth of him who brings negative news, who brings gossipy news, who brings critical news. We're talking about culture. I don't want our church to be a church that gets on the gossip train I heard this said well once, listen carefully to it. If you didn't see it with your own eyes or hear it with your own ears, don't invent it with your small mind or speak it with your big mouth. What a great way to live our lives, eh? Do you want to hear that one more time so you can write it down? If you don't see it with your own eyes or you don't hear it with your own ears, don't invent it with your small mind or speak it with your big mouth. So, I mean, in some respects, gossip's a bad thing. Um, but I'm curious if you heard anything else there. In sure. That well, I, I heard it with my own ears. He was speaking. It was recorded. And what I heard was information control. Uh, telling people not to listen to anything critical or any people that are raising questions or problems with what the organization is doing. And I heard thought control of the T, we have B-I-T-E, but I heard information control. Thought control is often with the all or nothing, you know, it be with follow me and everything will be great. And otherwise you're being the sewer and terrible things are going to happen. So this kind of binary fear um, thing is, and fear is the emotional control piece. Um, and, uh, you know, it's the opposite of, of uh, humility and hey, if I do something wrong, hold me accountable, which is, I think, the best form of leadership where there's accountability and transparency and responsibility and apologies when things get wrong versus don't think those negative thoughts, don't listen to that negative information. And that's the other piece with the loaded language of thought stopping that I heard him using. Don't allow negative thoughts to intrude mm. in your belief system. But, you know, I think, you know, love God with all your heart, mind, and strength means what it says. Love God with everything, including your critical faculties and your mind and your heart. Uh, and so I have real problems with what I heard in terms of a healthy, healthy church group. 
Yeah, and I will say that the the word gossip or slander, um, I don't know how many times that's been applied to me. I certainly get that. Anytime that I report on a group that's beloved, um, that sort of criticism will come, and, and I find it really shaming. I feel like it it just shuts down um, conversation or even thinking, like you said, critical thinking, um, and yet it's so common. It's so, so common in so many of these churches that, that this yeah. happens. And you're, you're a victim of ad hominem attacks, like of Julie's all the time. a bad person because she's raising these problems where people are being hurt. As if if Julie stopped talking about it, people wouldn't be hurt anymore, which is not reality. No, exactly. So I'm just wondering, because I'm guessing some people listening now are like, hmm, wow, that happens at my church. That's happening now. Uh, what would you say to someone who has some suspicions, um, and we don't necessarily have to label what's happening in your church a cult, but... Um, at the same time, these kind of unhealthy patterns when they're happening, I mean, what do you do if you're you're in a church and you're like, this doesn't pass the smell test? And, and some of the things that you're saying with this bite model, my goodness, this happens in my church. What do you do? I mean, I really want to validate that um, it it's about your relationship with the divine and you are responsible for that that relationship and your conscience is a valuable part of what how God created us. And so therefore, it's your obligation, in my opinion, to talk to family members and friends and raise questions about specific behaviors. And if you're afraid to talk to anyone about it, because you might be labeled slandering or gossip train or whatever, that's a big red flag. I'd say time for a time out, like take mm. a week, go into the woods, pray, you know, just like get away to really reflect what, what do I want out of a community? And it's not fear and guilt or somebody tattling on you that you're raising questions. Um, and uh, the group leadership should exist to serve the public and the membership. That's the model I understand of Judaism <laughs> and Christianity and Islam. It's not for people to serve the leader, the human leader, uh, as if they were divine, mm. uh, a human leader uh, on earth. And so, and the, so I would just urge people, take a time out, uh, learn about models of brainwashing and mind control. Um, another suggestion I have for your listeners is to think back before you join the group. What did you think you were getting into? And compare it with where you are now. And if you, if you do a thought experiment and say, if I knew then what I know now, would I have ever joined? And if the answer is no, then it's time to leave. Then you need to make an exit plan. The thing that's so hard with so many people I talk to is they get to the point where they say, yeah, this is really unhealthy, even bordering on a cult. But if I leave, I'm going to lose my entire social network. And so some of them sort of pull away kind of quietly or whatever. They don't want to get shunned. They don't want to get vilified because they know when they leave, that's what's going to happen because they've seen it happen to their friends who left. Um, and it just seems to me that social component is almost almost the most powerful uh, component of all. And some, some have on top of that professionally, they can be damaged because this person uh, within evangelicalism, I know some of the people that I've reported on have been very powerful within evangelicalism. And so it's hard if you're, that's your career, it's hard to, to get a job or to continue in your career if you leave because that person's going to just absolutely destroy you. Um, what do you do about those, the social consequences of leaving uh, a very controlling authoritarian cult-like church. Yeah, it's a, it's a real problem. It's very real. Um, it's caused people to be depressed and, and go get substance abuse issues or try to harm themselves. So it's the, the, the problem is very real. Um, but putting your head down and not, not doing anything is not going to make it get better. 
and it's just going to narrow your life experience. One good thing about the internet is people can reach out, talk to former members, talk to people like yourself, Julie, talk to Christian ministers who have studied authoritarian cults and, and, and Christian um, theology and such, and make get a, a support group of people who themselves have left. Um, and for me, the world-changing that needs to happen is everyone needs to understand more about how the mind works, how social psychology works, and how to navigate this world of disinformation and polarized um, politics to find love and, and common ground and healthy uh, faith and worship. Mm. And I think just know that it will be okay and there will be a new normal, but it's going to take some time. And that, that tunnel of chaos that you have to go through, I think um, it won't last forever, but it can be brutal. Absolutely brutal. Yeah. And the key is understanding what happened to you. And a mm. lot of people are helped by reading Combating Cult Mind Control, for example, or just watching documentaries about known bad groups, whether it's Nexium or R. Kelly or about the Children of God, or the Moonies, learning about how those groups function will also help you empower you to navigate the exit and living the kind of life you want to live. So I would like to make a pivot now, because we've talked a lot about sort of these evangelical groups and how they can sometimes uh, mimic cults or even be cult-like. Um, but I'd like to talk a little bit about the Moonies as well, the group that you were a part of. And I think for, you know, a lot of folks, um, myself included until recently, I thought, um, wow, the Moonies were a group that were in the seventies. I remember the, the mass weddings. I think anybody over 40 probably, uh, has memories of seeing the videos of, cause they would, what, marry like hundreds of people at once i'm not sure oh, what there was, the... was the, the the record was thirty thousand couples at one oh, my time word. Uh, moon would line up men and women and say you and you you and you and the mm. people didn't know each other they often didn't even speak the same language but they all were indoctrinated to think he was better than jesus christ that he could read people's spiritual backgrounds and know everything about them. And the idea was to create perfect sinless children because mm. you were being matched, uh, not of choosing someone you wanted to marry, but someone that God chose for you. Mm. And I can, I mean, I can only imagine what some of those marriages probably turned out like, um, whether they're still in the cult or not. Um, but I think with Moon, uh, he was actually indicted for... Um, he was convicted. He's a convicted... He was a convicted right. felon, served 13 months in prison for conspiracy to evade taxes. But um, most of the marriages have failed, naturally. Mm -hmm. Most people have left the group because it doesn't work, because mm -hmm. the leadership was corrupt from the bottom up, we later learned, I didn't know this as a cult member, but I later learned Moon was purifying women by having sex with them. So, you know, so he was having sex with, with female disciples of his, many underage, including the current leader of the cult, Tak Jahan, was a minor. He was 40. She was, I think, 16 or 15 years old. Mm. And two of his sons, uh, are running this rod of iron ministry uh, cult group with the crown of golden bullets and the other brother owns an arms factory and they're training people for armed civil war in the United States with rifles, assault rifles. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians have been taken in to think that the Moonies are following Jesus Christ and Moon explicitly said Jesus failed, and Jesus asked Moon to take over his job. He shouldn't have gone to the cross. Moon says that Jesus wasn't resurrected physically or born of a virgin mother. Like core 
Christian tenants, the Moonies say, nope. You know, Jesus was lying when he said, hey, I'm physical. You know, mm. it's, I'm not a spirit. Liar is what the Moonies said. But Jesus had to lie to motivate his disciples as to how the Moonies think about that. Mm. And a lot of very high profile people uh, in government who claim to be Christian are doing endorsements for the Moonies and saying how great they are. And they still own and operate the Washington Times newspaper, but they they really believe democracy is satanic and they want a theocracy to hmm. run the world, which hmm. means authoritarianism. Well, it, and this is what was shocking to me. Like, I've never thought the Moonies were remotely Christian. My guess is most of the people listening right now don't believe that either. There may be some who do. I did not realize that they were as active as they were. And and I remember when this first came up, again, for me, it was uh, just several weeks ago when Donald Trump spoke at this Mooney event um, called this Rally of Hope. And I was like, what? Why would Donald Trump be speaking there? But, you know, fine. A lot of money. I, I predict he was given millions for that short thing, but he gave the endorsement. But so did other, you know, major people, Pence, Pompeo. That's what floored me. I mean, to see Mike Pence had spoken at a, a previous type Mooney event, because sort of the precursor to this rally of hope. And, you know, Mike Pence, um, I mean, he, he, I would say in evangelical circles, is, is still relatively respected. Um I, other than his association with Trump, he's had a wonderful career and um, and some would lo- would love what he did in Trump. And, and he did finally stand up to Donald Trump uh, on January 6th. Thank God. Uh, after what happened there. Um, but that was shocking. And I think Trump, what he said was stunning. So I, I just have a short clip from when he spoke at this Mooney event. And it's it's breathtaking. I wrote about this, but uh, in case you haven't heard it, uh, it's just a short clip of the introduction when he, he first starts. It's a great and profound honor to address this seventh Rally of Hope and to speak to you today about a cause that is very close to my heart, the dream of peace and unity on the Korean Peninsula. I want to thank the Universal Peace Federation and in particular, Dr. Hawk, Jahan Moon, a tremendous person for her incredible work on behalf of peace all over the world. Her story of escaping from North Korea at five years old at the outset of the Korean War is an amazing example of the power of faith in Almighty God. I also want to thank her late husband, Reverend Moon, for founding the Washington Times, an organization for which I have tremendous respect and admiration. They have done an incredible job. I want to congratulate Dr. Moon on the launch of the new global initiative, Think Tank 2022, bringing together experts from around the world to focus on solving the conflict on the Korean Peninsula. So, yeah. Bak Jahan got paid money to get an honorary PhD. So she's not a doctor in the real sense of the word. And the Moonies have never left. They've just mainstreamed, and the and the mainstream media has not covered them as a destructive mind control cult. I might add, the Washington Times put out disinformation about January sixth, saying it was Antifa, and in fact, the founding editor uh, left the paper years earlier, saying that the news was being propagandized and manipulated. So I guess this is my question is, and, and honestly, if the answer to this question was no, then we probably wouldn't even be talking about this. But do the Moonies, are they still exerting? I mean, the fact that they had Donald Trump speaking at this rally of hope seems to indicate that they do still have uh, considerable influence. Are we blowing things out of proportion to say wow, this is evidence that they're still at work, It's they're still exerting influence, and, and this is something we should be concerned about? Or, um, or are they really fringe, like a lot of people think, and really not something we need to be aware of? 
So I think everyone needs to be aware of it. They have billions of dollars and in international reach. But I would just want to clarify that Hak Jahan took over for the main group that Sam Young Moon died in 2012. That's the group that Trump spoke for and Pompeo and Pence spoke for. Mm -hmm. And then there are two sons of hers and Moon's that are breakaway that sued the parents for the billions of dollars. And one has a gun factory and one has a rod of iron gun cult that wants to train for civil war in the United States. So there are two problem moon entities that we need to worry about. Hmm. And one of them was at the Rod of Iron. Uh, they were actually present at the January 6th. Correct. Insurrection, correct? Yeah. Correct. Sean Moon, uh, the the guy with the crown of bullets, mm -hmm. uh, was there with a group of Moonies and putting out this information that it was Antifa that was violent, when in fact, the, and uh, at least one Mooney was arrested for entering the Capitol that I'm aware of. There may have been more than one. We all have to worry about anyone who's wanting worldly power and money and fame and wanting to do violence to those who don't believe what they believe. We always have to be very concerned about that. Well, and I, when I read about Sean Moon and what he's doing, it's, it sounds a little bit like David Koresh just waiting to happen again. And so that it's actually worse. It's actually worse because Koresh mm -hmm. was making guns into automatic weapons, but they were staying in their compound and he was just molesting underage girls. They're actually building compounds, bringing in marksmen to train people how to kill, how to be a armed army. Mm -hmm in the streets of America to do a coup. That's a different level of threat. It's huge. And how many people are a member of Sean's group? I can't give you a hard number, but they are recruiting a lot of Americans, not to believe in Moon, but to believe in Second Amendment and gun rights and who, people who believe that the election was stolen and think that they have to save America from the uh, perceived enemy Biden entity, you know, group. So you have this opportunity right now. I mean, there's a lot of people listening who may believe some of those those same things, may have some carryover. What would your what would you say to them? I would say that if something is true, it will stand up to scrutiny. And the criteria for evaluating truth needs to be facts and not beliefs or what you read or see online. And Trump sued every, and there were recounts in all the major states, and even the person that Trump put in place, Chris Krebs, to make sure the election wasn't manipulated, said the election was fair versus what the disinformation machine is saying, that it was stolen and that it wasn't fair. Facts matter. And, uh, and, and, and really think twice whether we want to build community and work together to help Americans be lifted up, or do we want to be in a civil war where there's, there's, people are being murdered in the streets? Hmm. Well, and I think most, I know I spoke to someone who, uh, very much a Trump supporter, when she saw that he was speaking at a Mooney uh, rally of hope, she was absolutely shocked. And when um, some of this truth that's coming out about the Moonies and how they're involved uh, in politics, I think we, re we need to be really careful about what our bedfellows are when we're in politics. Even if we do agree on some things, uh, we need to be careful. And so I, I appreciate what you're doing, exposing. I looked at the list that you have uh, printed at your website about all of the businesses and um, 
different political action groups and even religious organizations that the Moonies have. I mean, it, it is extensive. I mean, there's hundreds of organizations. Yeah, there. there's 70 pages single space, Julie, on <sighs> the list that was compiled by a private investigator, colleague and friend of mine. Uh, this is a worldwide threat. It's not just a threat to the United States. Mm. And it's a threat to all believers because in the in the universe, if Moon ever took power, Christians would either have to convert or they would be uh, eliminated, I believe. Mm. Well, again, Stephen, thank you for what you've brought to light in letting us know about a threat that's out there um, and also educating um, ed- educating us on on what these groups look like and what is appropriate kind of uh, information and uh, functioning as a church and a body and a group and what leans towards really cultish kind of behavior. So I'm very grateful to you uh, for what you've done, and I appreciate our conversation today, and I appreciate your charity uh, towards Christians, e- even though that's uh, you're Jewish, uh, but you're obviously knowledgeable about the the faith and some of the faith and uh, and about Jesus and. You also have just a gracious spirit towards us. So I just appreciate that and hope you know that it's uh, reciprocated by an awful lot of us. Oh, absolutely. Jesus was a Jew, and I want to mention a book by uh, Harvey Cox called Common Prayers. It was He's a Baptist minister who wrote the book for Christians saying, if you want to understand Jesus better, learn what Jesus was taught, you know, what Judaism actually teaches. And I think it, it's a very interesting and positive book for even for Jews to read, uh, but it's designed for Christians to understand uh, Judaism. Well, you can't understand the Christian faith if you don't understand uh, what our Jewish roots are. And so uh, I, I appreciate you and appreciate what you've done. And again, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you and continued success. And thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. If you'd like to connect with me online, just go to Julie Roy's, spelled R-O-Y-S dot com. That's Julie Roy's dot com. I'll also be posting links on my website to connect with Stephen and get access to the fantastic resources that he offers online. Also, just a quick reminder to subscribe to The Roy's Report on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on Spotify. That way, you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, I'd really appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word about the podcast by leaving a review. And then please share the podcast on social media so more people can hear about this great content. Again, thanks so much for joining me today. Hope you have a great day, and God bless. God bless.